Today's scripture reading comes from Acts 15, 35 to 41. It can be found on page 924 in the Pew Bibles, or you can take a moment to pull it up in your Bible apps, and it will also be projected on the screen. Again, that's Acts 15, 35 to 41. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. I now invite Pastor Jeff, who will preach on the topic, When Christians Disagree. Pastor Jeff. Good morning. As most of you know, I, I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary a number of years ago, same place that our ministry partner Kenny, as well as Pastor Pat, and a couple other people on pastoral staff went through. And there I got my MDiv, which is short for Master of Divinity, which is somewhat misleading because I would say most of us, probably all of us, would say that we have absolutely not mastered the divine. But I, while I was at Conwell, when you get your MDiv, you have to take a number of courses. And one of those is this pastoral ministry course. It was a very practical class, right? We're not trying to decipher the meaning of this one Greek word and trying to write a 30-page paper on it. Um, but we talked about ministry. We, uh, we talked about how to be a pastor, what that means about our own pastoral identity and calling and how to plan a wedding. How we talked about search committees and financial reports and congregational health. And we'd hear ridiculous stories from our professor who was a senior pastor for 25, 30 years of all the things that he experienced in ministry and the lessons he learned. And a lot of those stories that he would share with us had a lot to do with the different conflicts and disagreements that he encountered that arose over the years. You know, this, this brother offending that brother. This leader causing more issues than, than solving them. You know, this group wants to change the color of the carpet, and this group doesn't. You know, one, of the, one of the earliest conflicts that, that he experienced when he was starting out at the, at, as the senior pastor there was he tried to change some of the flowers up on stage. No. <laughs> he had crossed the line. Flower committee was not happy. The flowers were off limits. And, and so he had to learn the hard way of you know, what happens when you kind of rub shoulders or experience some, some friction with other Christians, other godly Christians. And so one of the things that we talked about at length was, you know, what happens when you encounter conflict in ministry, when Christians come into conflict or when Christians disagree? I, I would venture a guess and say that the majority of us in this room and those of us online have had a disagreement with another Christian, right? Maybe even a sharp 
disagreement, a, a conflict of some kind, because none of us are perfect. Now, we tend to encounter these types of disagreements because we've stuck around long enough, right? Long enough for relationships to form, long enough for us to begin to feel the friction of rubbing shoulders with each other. And conflict happens in every church because sanctification is a process. We're, we're still growing, we're still maturing, where none of us are perfect. We're still marred by the effects of brokenness and sin. And it happens even in the early church, as we see in our passage today. And so, as I was poring over this passage, it got me curious. I thought, well, let me look back at my notes from this class many, many years ago, see if I still have it, see if there's anything useful there. And as I was kind of looking at my Google Drive from many years ago, I came across my final exam for this pastoral ministry course. And I was like, oh, what do we have here? There were a set of five questions covering different aspects of pastoral ministry. So maybe it was a question on a case study for one of us to, to write about, or maybe it was asking us about our theology of worship, some other thing, right? So look right here, question four, conflict in the church. Now I'm really curious, maybe you are, because I don't remember this question at all. So let me, let me read you the question, this, this question on this final exam. It goes like this. As you go back to your office after the recent board meeting, you wonder what just happened. Started out as a simple budget meeting. By the end, it had fallen into chaos. Mabel Stewart seemed unhappy with the proposal to drop the missions portion of the budget by 2%. She said it was unacceptable in this congregation to ever fall before 10% in missions giving. Then Peter Kemp simply reminded her that attendance had fallen by 11% for 2013. And with that, giving had fallen 8%. Fixed costs were in the budget, in the mortgage, in the utilities, in the salaries, and where else could they cut? And so what followed hurt. Both Ralph Gates and Marilyn Miller hinted that maybe a pastoral change was what could stem the tide of what had been a four-year decline. And Peter Kemp quickly said that was a bad idea. Caroline, uh, Carol Klein volunteered, hey, maybe we can cut Christian education a little. But then Ralph asserted, hey, the whole budget discussion was hiding the real discussion of a performance evaluation of the senior pastor. Now, I said I would be fine with a personnel evaluation process, but that there were lots of factors with the Klein, right? Age, culture, location. Ralph said that was simply an excuse, and he hoped for my resignation. Yeah. Lots of arguing followed from there, and I finally intervened to invite us to pray. No one felt like praying, so I closed us in prayer and said I would work on trying to find a way forward for the board, but I have no idea what needs to be done. And so I am calling you, my pastor friend, to get some advice on what just happened and what I should do from here. What do I learn from the conflict which I just experienced? And so in no more than 300 words, outline the problem and chart a way forward. Now, I'm really interested after I read that, you know, gargantuan of a problem and a, a, a question. I'm like, what was my response 10 years ago? And, and some of you may, may be wondering, like, what was Pastor Jeff's grade on it? Because that really matters. Well, it turns out there's a reason why I don't remember this. Because I didn't answer the question. 
Like you only had to answer four out of five questions, and this was the one question I chose not to answer. I was like, how am I going to answer this in 300 words? Pastor, you know pastors talk long. And this is complex. I'm like, I'm not touching this. You know, conflict, though, on a more serious note, right, it's somewhat sometimes unavoidable. Not just for pastors, but for each and every one of us. Right? We've all gotten into disagreements with one another. Especially the longer that we've known each other. Sometimes it's bound to come up. And we're not usually given the option to pass on it like my final exam. It's not that easy. Even though sometimes in life, right, we'd rather just take the loss, leave it blank, ignore it, than try to address and answer it. The final exam question, this, this question on conflict, disagreement, shows how complex it can be sometimes, Right? It's not just this, this is the one thing that we disagree sharply on. I'm on this side and you're on that side. But no, there's a myriad of factors, even in this kind of paragraph that I just read. Relationships, history, external factors, multiple stakeholders. And sometimes we experience that too. Maybe not in a board meeting, but sometimes in just our day-to-day life. As we live as followers of Christ with other broken and sinful followers of Christ. And our passage this morning is looking at a conflict in the early church. Conflict between Paul and Barnabas, who we've been traveling with these past few weeks since we started this sermon series on the latter half of the book of Acts. And so I'm grateful that the word of God, God's word to us through his scripture, does not shy away from the harsh realities that even the heroes of our faith faced and sometimes even failed at. The Bible is often super realistic about how messed up we can be sometimes. Right? Just look at the many pages recounting Israel's shortcomings in the Old Testament. But it also, at the same time, it makes the undeserved gift of the grace of God, which we talked about last week, even sweeter. So Paul and Barnabas, they have this major, major disagreement, this, this conflict. And what we're going to see in these first few verses is that doctrinal unity doesn't guarantee relational harmony. If you've been following with us as we've been working our way through the book of Acts, look at where we're at as this narrative unfolds. Right? Last week, we saw Paul and Barnabas again. They were united along with the rest of the Jerusalem church, the authority and its leaders that we are saved by grace alone too, just like the Gentiles. They were Jews, and they were saved by grace just like the Gentiles. And it was actually their dissension and debate with these men who came from Judea that led them to come together to witness, hey, look, this is what God is doing among the Gentiles. They are coming to faith, coming to Jesus as Gentiles without the need for them to become uh, Jewish in the process, without the need for them to become circumcised or to, to put the whole burden of the law upon themselves. And so there was unity around this particular doctrine of grace through faith. And and now some time has passed. Verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas, they remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So Paul and Barnabas, right, they're there together. They're preaching and teaching and doing ministry together as partners 
They've already been on one missionary journey together. They're traveling to so many different places and cities, meeting new people, planting new churches, working together. It's great. So some time has passed now. And the very next thing that Luke decides to highlight in his account of the history of the church is now not unity, but this conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Because doctrinal unity doesn't necessarily guarantee relational harmony, right? They, they, they've been united on being saved by grace. And you might think, like for us, like, hey, I'm a member of Crossbridge and CBCGB. I hold the same statement of faith that is on our website and in our bylaws that everyone else does. Maybe that means that I'll have zero conflict with other Christians because we agree on the most important things. No. Even Paul and Barnabas weren't immune from this. Paul, right? Like, these are godly Christians. Examples for us. Paul, who has written much of our New Testament. Barnabas, who helped to plant these churches at the beginning. They had conflict, and they had it with each other. And it also wasn't so much that they had conflict, as if that's the worst thing, and that's going to happen in this world, in this life. But it was you know, how they ha- handled it, what ended up happening, the consequences. And it's, it's sad when you, when you think about the relationship that they had, right? Up to this point, since chapter 13, multiple times, Luke puts them together. Paul and Barnabas, they speak up boldly together. Paul and Barnabas, they debate with these other men from Judea. Paul and Barnabas, they remained at Antioch together, teaching and preaching. They were the ones who together, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, that's Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. If we go back even further in their relationship, Barnabas was the one who brought Paul to the other apostles and vouched for him. Right? This is when Paul had his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. He came to faith. But prior to that, he was on the other side. He was the one who approved of Stephen's stoning and execution. He was the one back in chapter 8, verse 3, where it says, But Saul, that's Paul, was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now Paul is brought forth before these church leaders, these apostles, these apostles who probably had family and um, family members and friends sent to prison, maybe even killed, persecuted because of Paul, because of this guy right before them. And now Barnabas is like, hey, I'm telling you, he's good. Can you imagine the, the type of relationship that might have been forged there between Paul and Barnabas? And as we're taking a glance across the history of their relationship, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm just wandering a little bit. I just have Toy Story, you know, you got a friend of me in the back of my head playing, or you got, you know, Buzz and Woody, you got Paul and Barnabas coming together, doing their thing. And so that makes this, this eventual relational disharmony all the more disappointing. Verse 36 Paul said to Barnabas, after some days, let us return and visit the brothers in every city 
where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Paul proposes a plan. This is where the conflict comes up. Paul and Barnabas, they both want to go back to the cities that they visited on that first missionary trip. They want to see how they're doing. They want to care for them. But notice the, the disagreement. It's not actually over the, the actual plan of return, but more on, on the how or actually the who. Verse 37, now Barnabas, he wanted to take with them John, who's called Mark, John Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And so the issue here, the issue of this conflict, this sharp disagreement, is John Mark's track record. Most of us probably didn't even pay attention to the small, small, small detail when we preach on this passage way at the beginning of the sermon series. But in Acts 13 it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John Mark just left, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Right there. Just a few words in the middle. We catch that, right? John also called Mark. He leaves them. And we don't know why. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe he wasn't ready. Maybe he got sick sick. I don't know. We just don't know. But for whatever the reason, Paul thinks that for this second missionary journey, we shouldn't take this guy. Right? He, he flaked on us. He, he didn't follow through. You know, he's the guy that RCPs yes and then bails last minute. He's not reliable. We can't, we can't count on him. This missionary journey demands, requires a lot. And he's not going to step up. He's showing that he's not able to step up. He just doesn't meet those requirements. Barnabas disagrees. We don't know know what his reasons are. He might have understood, he probably understood where Paul was coming from. But, and this is the key thing, right? But there was something else that he weighed more. Now, Paul focused on the, the requirements of missionary work, which all of us would agree, hey, this is important, right, to consider. But, but maybe Paul, uh, maybe Barnabas agreed with that, but still felt there was something more important, more, more that he valued. Maybe it was a, a pastoral concern, right? Shouldn't we try to, to help John Mark? Shouldn't we show him some grace or give him another chance? I mean, this is Barnabas, right? Think about it. This is, this is the guy who vouched for Paul, the guy who was persecuting and killing all the Christians, right? If, if Barnabas is like, hey, I'm good with vouching for Paul, how much more would he be okay with vouching for, for John Mark, right? who clearly wasn't persecuting other Christian brothers and sisters? And there's also the fact that, you know, it was maybe impacted by the fact that John Mark is, we read in other parts of Scripture that Mark is Barnabas's cousin, so now you got this whole familial thing, familial factor. You know, look out for your family. And so the issue here for, for these two godly Christians is do we bring this guy along or not? Do we bring John Mark or not? Even among us. You know, as I kind of relay some of this stuff that's happening, we might, some of us be, might nodding our heads with Paul or nodding our heads with Barnabas. Some of us might be, I could ask, right? Like, raise your hand if you side with Paul or raise your hand if you side with Barnabas. 
And, and those of us who agree with Paul sit on this side of the sanctuary. Those of us who agree with Barnabas sit on that side. But don't, don't do that, right? Because I don't want to create more conflict when the sermon title is when Christians agree. But I will say that some of us, depending on who we choose, who we side with, it might reveal something about us, right? It might reveal something about our own personality, our own history, our own values. It's not always easy, and clearly it wasn't for Paul and Barnabas. And one pastor put it this way, and maybe some of us can resonate with this, that our judgment goes with Paul, but our hearts go with Barnabas. But it's still hard, right? You still have to make a decision. And conflict is everywhere. We see it in life, we see in our relationships. So we see it in media, right? Look no further than Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. For those of you who follow football, and if you don't, it's okay, I'll explain it, right? Bill, Bill Belichick is the head coach of the Patriots. Tom Brady is the GOAT, the greatest quarterback of all time. And together they won six Super Bowls, right? And accomplished something that we may never see again in football. But if you follow football, you'll also know that Tom Brady left the Patriots a couple years ago and went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the narrative at the time, because I listened to a lot of sports radio, was, you know, they had a lot of conflict, disagreements about how to do things. It was Brady versus Belichick. Who was better? That was what everyone was talking about. Was it the coach or was it the quarterback? There were questions raised, like, should Brady continue to take a hometown discount in order to do what's better for the team? Or should Belichick have done more to keep Brady, maybe brought on better players to surround him with more weapons, or, or paid him better, or appreciated him more? Like, which side do you choose? Which camp do you fall in? Now, recently, Tom Brady finally retired, for, for real this time, and Belichick went on this podcast, or it went on his podcast, Brady's podcast. And it was interesting because it looked like they had reconciled or resolved some things, right? They shared stories, they reminisced, they joked around. And what was interesting was how I think Brady characterized some of their time together. The claim, he says, was that there was never really any conflict. You know, that was the media spin on it because they ran out of things to talk about. Now, I don't know how much of that is true, right, or because we're not, we're not them, you know, but the alleged conflict between Brady and Belichick was what everyone else was talking about, right? That's what you turn on sports radio, that's what they're talking about. And I'm like, as a, as a spoiled Patriots fan who grew up watching all the Super Bowls, right, man, can't they just work it out and win us another Super Bowl? Like, can't they just reconcile? It's been four years since the last one. Like, we're overdue for another one. I know other teams have been waiting, like, decades, but, you know, it's, it's our time again. But in conflict, right, sometimes arises not because of the actual plan, but all of the seemingly small stuff that comes up in our relationships with one another. It blows up into bigger things. Paul and Barnabas, the disagreement wasn't over actually whether to return to those cities. They both agreed on that, I would assume. It was whether to bring John Mark along. And then with that, you had the issue of Mark's track record. You had Barnabas's connection to him and how they weighed the track record against other things. And so many factors, many potential sources of conflict. And so these are a couple examples of what sometimes in our own relationships, in our own disagreements with one another, 
Why might that happen? This is a list from, from that pastoral ministry course, right? Conflicts can sometimes arise when our personalities clash. When those of us who are more task-oriented clash with those who are more people-oriented. When the thinkers among us don't really understand the feelers among us and vice versa. Conflict, disagreements, sharp disagreements can arise due to our own unsanctified nature, our sinful flesh that begins to show itself, right? And we start responding in ways that are not helpful, that actually amplify or make things worse. When pride or ambition is there, when anxiety takes over, when fear controls us, conflict can come. We can disagree sharply uh, and sinfully with other people because of our own unfinished business with the past. Maybe our own issues with our fathers or other authority figures that creeps in to this situation. Hurt people hurt people. Might be unresolved issues, right, with a past church that you bring to the next church. That's why we call it baggage. Because we're carrying around this bag of bricks from our past relationships to our new one, which we're going to use to build the same house. Conflict can come up when our beliefs differ. Our beliefs about what sin is or about the nature of the church or how things ought to be. It can come up when our visions are not aligned. When you're about reaching the lost and I'm about caring for the found. Or maybe you're about bridging this kind of culture or being a bridge and I'm about bringing, uh, bridging that kind of culture. And conflict can also come up when our values differ. Maybe that, this is what happened with Paul and Barnabas. Right? And not just the, the stated ones that we have in our new set of core values, right? For God, scripture-driven, better together, servant-hearted. But our unstated core values. Let me give you an example. I was uh, serving out a former church many years ago. This was very early on in, in my ministry. And there's a disagreement that came up between the leaders over whether to cover the retreat cost of the spouse of one of the youth counselors. And so not the actual volunteer, the, the person going there to serve the youth, which is ironic because we have a youth retreat this weekend, but the, the spouse of that volunteer, right? So one side said, we should cover the spouse, right? We're taking away the youth counselor from their family for that weekend. The least that we can do is kind of bring the spouse along and, and so that they can be there together, even if that spouse isn't serving or, or not. But the other side said, well, no, I mean, if... If we're going to cover their costs, if we're going to pay, they should serve. Now, fortunately, it wasn't a sharp disagreement, not like the ones that we see between Paul and Barnabas, not like the one in our passage today. We, we set it on a decision fairly quickly. It was like five, ten minutes. You know, no one left the church. No, one, no one's feelings got hurt, um, and we moved, we moved forward. But in, in that short period of discussion and disagreement, it reflected a difference in values. One side, for lack of a better word, maybe we valued pastoral care and appreciation more, right? Another side valued service more, or whatever you want to call that. And both sides could make the argument that they valued stewardship, right? Uh, Trying to be good stewards of God's money and finances. 
And it's not that each side didn't value the other side, but they just weighed it differently. And this is where the disagreement or the conflict comes up. And there's other factors too. I'll say it was, in hindsight, it was kind of interesting because looking back, it was also kind of pretty clearly divided on cultural boundaries uh, too. Like you had all the Taiwanese leaders on one side and all the Cantonese leaders on another. I'm not going to say who was on which side, but, but the point is that conflict comes up, right? Disagreements come up in our daily lives as we live for a variety of reasons, even if we hold to the same gospel of grace. Christians disagree. Godly Christians disagree. We get into conflict even if we all confess Christ as Lord. Doctrinal unity doesn't guarantee relational harmony. Now, I want to be clear on this, that, that conflict isn't necessarily the issue. Conflict is inescapable. But the problem is, is how do we, especially for us who follow Jesus, how do we relate to one another when we are in conflict? How do we handle ourselves? Especially when we think about Jesus' prayer in John, how he prayed for unity. Unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that there's no differences. But it it means that hopefully that that disagreement doesn't destroy the love that we show and have for one another and the people around us. And conflict sometimes can be good if handled well because it elicits different points of view. It clears the air and makes it possible to resolve extraordinary complex issues. But that can be hard sometimes because we, we want to do what I did with that final exam question. We just want to ignore it and move past it or work around it rather than to address it. And sometimes when Christians with two very different perspectives collide in conflict, we don't handle it well at all. And sadly, this is what happened with Paul and Barnabas, I think. So verse 39, if we continue, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Disagreements sometimes, here's the second point, disagreements sometimes provoke separation. This is how Luke characterizes the conflict. It's a sharp disagreement. It's an intense conflict. Tempers flared. The word here has a sense of stirring up, provoking. It can be positive, right? Like in Hebrews, the same word there, let us stir one another up to love and good works. That's a good, good use, right? But in Acts, it's used one other time in the verb form in a negative way. When Paul's spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city full of idols. So the, the disagreement is so strong that there is an emotional uh, uh, involvement to this. Irritation, exasperation, frustration that it actually provokes them to separate. To go their separate ways. They split up. And Lucas is silent. When we read this, Lucas is silent on who is right. I mean, yes, we read in one of these verses that the churches commended Paul to go on the second trip. But that didn't necessarily mean that they commended how it got to that point. And I think Luke's silence on who is right shows us the issues, not necessarily the separation, but the manner of separation. They could have separated on good terms. Like sometimes when we're 
in ministry, when we're on mission, right, our mission of bridging cultures to build a family in Christ, we may have some disagreements about what that look like, lo- looks like or what to focus on. And maybe that means that we'll need to, to focus on this one time or focus on that later on, or that might mean we have to part ways for a period or for a season. You know, for, for Paul and Barnes, they could have separated on good terms, disagreeing, but doing so in a way that was still Christ-honoring, that's not what happened. And unfortunately, when that happens, there's, there's consequences, right? Too often, you and I, we don't know how to leave well. We don't know how to break up well. We leave through the back door. We, like, we, we rage quit our relationships. For those of you who play games, rage quitting is when you get so frustrated, when you keep losing and failing at something in, in the game that you just, you just quit. Right? You leave your team. You leave, you leave the game that you're in. Shut off the PlayStation or press the power button on your computer. You're like, you're done. Like we don't know how to leave well. We don't know how to resolve conflicts. And people suffer. The church suffers. And the Christian witness suffers. The church splits. Ruined relationships. People that don't talk to each other anymore. In this case, it's kind of sad, right? When we think that the plan for Paul and Barnabas was to go back together to these churches to see how these Christians are doing. And these churches suffer some of those consequences of Paul and Barnabas' sharp disagreement. Like they, they still go, they visit some of these places, but separately and to different places. I mean, can you imagine, right? Barnabas goes back to Cyprus. They ask, oh man, thank you so much for remembering us and reaching out. You know, how are you doing? How have you been? Hey, by the way, where's Paul? Where is he, by the way? Why, why isn't he with you? Paul goes to Derby and Lystra. The churches there ask, hey, it's so good to see you. Hey, How's Barnabas? What's, what, what has he been up to? Why aren't you guys on this trip together? What do you say? It's super awkward. Disagreement sometimes can provoke separation. You know, there may come a time, realistically, that when, when those of us who are laboring for the gospel will need to separate because of differences in focus or in strategy or in values or whatever. But these considerations are connected to the gospel and its proclamation. But we should also be asking, if it gets to that point, well, how do we separate it? How do we do so in a way that honors Christ and also honors his people? Paul and Barnabas, I think for us today, are an example of what what not to do. But we can still find solace in the fact that God is sovereign even over the separation. So uh, this is our last point. In verses 39 to 41, there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What we see here is that division can turn into multiplication. Out of this disagreement, two new missionary journeys were birthed. Barnabas returned to Cyprus. Paul continued on through Syria and Cilicia. And what we find is each took on a new partner. Even though this was a season, a juncture where Paul and Barnabas separated ways, parted ways, they both recognized still the importance of collaborating together to achieve God's mission. That's our third core value, better together. We uh, collaborate together to accomplish God's mission. So Barnabas took on Mark, obviously. Paul brought Silas on. And that is significant, too, when you think about how God is working. 
look, 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 look where, where Paul's going, Syria and Cilicia. So if we were to go back to last week's sermon, Jerusalem Church's letter, as they write about the decision regarding salvation by grace for the Gentiles, the letter was written to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch, but also Syria and Cilicia. And now, look who the church sent to deliver this letter. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So what does this mean? Now, like you have Paul going to the very places that this letter was written to and accompanied by the very person that the Jerusalem church has chosen to send. Would this have helped and encouraged the Christians there? To have Silas there with Paul? I think you bet. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what does this mean for us today as we wrap up? Well, there are two things I hope we don't take away from this. First, I hope we don't just look at this passage as a proof text to just be like, oh, let me just abandon whatever conflict, whatever relationship that I'm in right now. Let me just rage quit because Paul and Barnabas separated, so I can too. I'm just going to peace out, leave, goodbye. The issue is not necessarily the separation, but the manner. And second, yes, in Paul and Barnabas' case, division turned into multiplication. God was sovereign. He was able to turn something that was bad into something that was good. But we need to be wary of applying this consequentialist ethic where we would say, well, we can justify our own attitudes and behaviors, which is to believe, hey, you know what? I can have this sharp disagreement, and I can handle it this way because God's going to redeem it anyways. But just because God can redeem the consequences of our actions doesn't justify the way that we handle ourselves in the conflict. God can not only redeem the consequences, but he can also redeem the conflict. Because ultimately in Paul's later letters, we find, we get the sense that there is some sort of reconciliation. Paul name drops, Mark's a few to- uh, name drops Mark a few times. Just get Mark and bring him, with you, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. He calls Mark his son in the next verse, in 1 Peter 5, 13. Paul also continues to hold respect for Barnabas. He considers himself a co-worker of the gospel. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So there is hope for us too. But in this particular instance, as we think about our own disagreements and our own relationships, our own conflicts, let us not wait like Paul and Barnabas to reconcile. I think Paul's own exhortations in Romans is useful for us this morning. So let me leave you with this one verse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, insofar as it depends on you, not the other person, which we might tend to say, like, I'm just going to wait for that person to do it, right? It's on them. But insofar as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So when Christians disagree, which is bound to happen, Let us continue in love to seek peace. Will you pray with me? 
Gracious God, we give thanks to you for your grace to us. For you taking the initiative in your love for us to reconcile this broken relationship with us. Help us too, having received this grace, to demonstrate that love and that grace and mercy to those around us as well. Help us to be a good witness to the love that you first showed us. In Jesus' name.